The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, I lied. Sorry, guys. I lied. I thought that today we were going to crack open the Dan Bespris buckets. But then I remembered after yesterday's podcast, because thank the good Lord I had actually set a calendar reminder and a phone alarm reminder, that yesterday, Wednesday, August the 18th, we actually had a mock draft going. Kind of forgot. Ended up doing my part of it while uh, playing Mario 3D World with my four-year-old. Because, <laughs> well, life is life. And so uh, that's caused a little bit of retooling of our Fantasy NBA Today calendar, which I will tell you about momentarily. First of all, hello, welcome to the show. It's Thursday, August the 19th. It's episode 89 of our Fantasy Offseason, provided I've actually done my counting right, and I am not at all certain that I did fact is I've now kind of forgotten when things happened I think I think that's right I don't know I might be way off I might be might be far less than that actually <laughs> oh lord someone do the math for me on this one I'm, I'm a disaster that can't be right it can't be 80 something can it now I gotta do it now I gotta count it up live on air again what is that? That's week one, two, three, oh, eight, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Yeah, all right. We're at the tail end of week fourteen. No, so I'm way off. That's that's complete. Oh my goodness, that would be. This is episode sixty-eight, not eighty-eight. What have I lost my mind? Am I have I forgotten how to do math live on air? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're doing shows. That's all that really counts. Uh, we are uh, two months from opening day in the NBA. October the 19th. We're exactly two months away, which means we are officially in count-up season, not countdown anymore. So that's good. In any case, this is Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, flailing all over the place at the front end of a podcast as I try to count days that I've deep knife carved into my prison wall in here my prison of course being the five foot by four foot corner of my bedroom that's turned into my full-time office we but we manage we survive somehow as best we can so here's what i'm talking about first of all follow me on twitter at dan vespers follow hoopball on twitter at hoopball fantasy here's what i'm talking about my plan was today to embark upon the dan vespers bucket method but then yesterday, a mock draft popped up that I had forgotten about, hosted by our buddy Josh Lloyd. It was a pro mock, a way too early pro mock, but free agency is done, so things are settling a bit now, and it's time to start looking into that sort of thing. We don't have ADP data. We don't know what the public is going to do. We don't know what the different sites are going to be putting out, so it's really hard to take too much away from any one individual mock, but we're going to go over some of that stuff today and tomorrow. What this also allows is, and as we talked about on yesterday's podcast in the sort of bucket methodology episode of Fantasy NBA Today, I want to have I want to have public perception data before I start slotting guys into buckets. Thus, 
there really almost needed to be an in-between step between the methodology show and the actual bucket shows. And it's weird to say this, but the in-between step is actually making a very rough rank list. Not so much necessarily assigning actual numbers to players, but aligning them in a bucket-like order where you don't have clear delineations between where the cutoffs are. And, frankly, late swaps based on public perception and then determining where those cutoffs are. We can't really do the full bucketage. Yeah, that's right, I'm making up words. Until we know how the world at large, the other big websites, the biggest, really, the biggest websites, ESPN, Yahoo, how they feel about particular players, because that influences the market any more, way more than any one fantasy podcast or fantasy writer actually could. We have impact. It is tangible. This show has it. Bruce B150 has it. And his far more than my show. But these things are small potatoes compared to Yahoo's pre-ranks. That has the biggest single impact on how ADPs turn out on draft day. The single biggest impact. And I want you guys to remember how to separate the nuance in your head. That doesn't mean that Yahoo's pre-ranks are going to just become the ADP. But if you look at ADP and compare it to everything else you will find the closest, this is like a DNA analysis kind of thing, you'll find the most similarities with the website's pre-ranks that you are pulling the ADP data from. Yahoo's ADP data will most closely resemble Yahoo's pre-ranks. It's pretty straightforward, but at the same time, people sometimes forget this as a handful of players move around, and they're like, ah, well, these these pre-ranks are... I don't need to study these. No, I mean, they, they still give the bulk of the data. All that to say, I need a weekend. I need a weekend. That's kind of what it comes down to. We need more data, which is not going to come for a little while. But as long as we're waiting on the data, we really need to build a rough chart. And I think we probably only need to go about 100 players deep on said chart. Because once you get beyond that point, it's a big fat who cares. And I know what you're thinking. Dan, aren't guys outside the top 100 relevant on draft day? Yeah, but they're going to be in our top 100. So those guys are not any longer outside the top 100 in as much as they just might appear there on some other page. But we're not going to put numbers on it. It's not going to be like 1 through 10 and then 11 through 20. It's really going to be like, okay, here's a rough order. How do we figure out who goes in which bucket? I need more than the handful of minutes I have on a given weekday, to get all that data together. This is going to be the topic of a lot of episodes of Fantasy NBA Today. I want to make sure that it is spot on because we're going to unearth some pretty significant values and we're going to have to make sure that those guys stay values as data from across the fantasy landscape comes rolling in. So today, with all of that pushed to the shelf for next week episodes presumably 71 through 75 but again i've now lost track of how to count so you know fart sound effect next week we're going to get more into that bucket stuff today and tomorrow thursday and friday we're going to be looking at the results of the mock draft that i worked through yesterday 
with not that fine-toothed of a comb. And I cannot stress this point enough. Use this as very much a first-pass analysis at not so much where guys are actually going to go, because until we get, again, the big sites pre-ranks, we don't know where players are going to start. What this data is going to show us is, first of all, who is kind of screwing off a little bit, and it doesn't really matter, but also what direction some players are going to be pulled from their pre-ranks at the big box websites. It's all a math equation at the end of the day. And some of you guys might love the fact that that's the answer. Some of you guys might hate the fact that that's the answer. But for better or worse, that's the answer. We don't know the exact percentage. And you might, really, you might be able to figure it out if you looked at enough data. But honest to goodness, I don't have the Excel spreadsheet power or time to do that kind of deep dive. But if you looked at Yahoo's pre-ranks, basically from the day they come out every year, so you got to save them like the second that they emerge or as damn close to that as you can get and compare that to ADP on draft night, you'll know how far everybody moved. Then you'd have to look at what the biggest other websites or writers or fantasy personalities were putting out. So basically, and to a certain extent, it'll be uh, not fully possible to attribute the exact percentage to each, but the more years you have and the more data points you have, the easier it becomes to figure out who's responsible for what. But let's say that if you just kind of went on like Twitter and list size presence alone, you take the big box site, take Yahoo!, and then you plug in uh, Roto World's ranking list, whatever that happens to be. You plug in the B150. You plug in Basketball Monsters rank list, which I think is Josh's, but there may, there may be a handful of guys that work on that, so I don't want to cut anybody out of the mix and not give the proper credit. You take uh, probably the... Who the hell? Uh, Roto Wire is probably mixed in there somewhere. Regardless, it, it doesn't really matter. You take the biggest, like... Four, five, whatever. You don't want to go too deep because then the load gets crazy. Take the biggest four or five most utilized rank lists out in the landscape, not from that same website. So don't use some other person at Yahoo's rank list. And compare those to Yahoo's pre-ranks and compare those to the ADP. And you can kind of see how much names move based on what other fantasy experts are putting out there. So the site's pre-ranks, that's your starting point. And if you had enough data points on this, and unfortunately because the landscape changes so much and new names pop in and old names pop out, it's kind of impossible to get it perfect. But if you looked at those same four or five biggest influencers outside of the big box pre-ranks, you could pretty much figure out how much each one of those lists is going to move a particular name based on gravity. You know, if somebody, if I, if my list has a guy at 20 and his pre-rank is 40, what does that move him? 39? Maybe. Do I move someone one slot? Percentage-wise, 
possibly, you know, I don't, my word is not going to move very much, but like Roto World, if they had him at 20, that would probably move that pre-rank by a couple, at least four or five, six spaces, I would think. A lot of people use NBC affiliated, like it's a big, it's a huge website. If you could figure that out, you'd know where someone's ADP is going to end up without even seeing it move. You could tell everyone, here's where it's going to end up. I've seen all the rank lists. I've seen the biggest four rank lists out there. I've seen the Yahoo pre-ranks. I know where this name is going to end up. Luckily for us, you don't really have to do that. Because if you draft your team somewhat close to opening night, within, say, two weeks of opening night, you're going to have pretty damn good ADP data that will be reflecting not a final position for those players, but the path that they're on. At that point, you can just track ADP moves, and you'll know where someone's going, and just combine that with some mock drafts. It's a lot less work than doing uh, a massive ultra lift of the biggest ranks for like the last 10 years running. It's a little easier. So that's what I want us to have our eyes on when I go through some of the names on this mock draft from yesterday. There are some very large names in the fantasy community in this mock draft. I'm not even going to illustrate what team was which. I don't think it's that important. But just understanding that there are going to be voices telling people to take particular guys at these particular slots. Compare that to the pre-ranks, and you'll understand where guys might move. This could actually be really valuable information for folks that are drafting super early. If you have a really early fantasy draft, like a month, month and a half before the actual season starts, like let's say you're drafting in mid-September, this mock draft and some sites' pre-ranks are going to be your... That's your whole plate of food. So I thought the, the theory behind it was kind of interesting. I wanted to make sure we had a chance to go over that. Let's talk a little bit about the actual picks that came in in yesterday's mock draft. And uh, we'll see how far we get. I'm thinking probably top 25 today, but you know me. I have no idea how long I'm going to end up talking on some topic. And uh, so uh, it's hard for me to know exactly how far we're going to get. And, you know, plan as well as I might, it's it, it doesn't always work out so well. So uh, here are the picks, and we'll go through them one by one. Pick number one, anybody surprised? Nikola Jokic, clear number one pick this coming season. I would be flabbergasted if any website... Oh, by the way, this is a nine-cat head-to-head draft. So valuing durability a bit more than uh, the, the massive upside of an injured player, I think should be factored in. I don't know that everybody in the draft is actually playing it that way, and maybe somebody's punting will, will kind of possibly feel that out partway through, but, you know, we'll just bear that in mind. I, I don't know that there's a format out there where Nikola Jokic is not the number one pick. He's shown himself to be one of the most durable players in the NBA. He was number one on a per-game basis. He was number one by totals last year, and he just blew everybody out of the water. He was a late first-rounder better than the number two player in fantasy last year, which was Steph Curry. Yeah. That's the difference between having the best player in fantasy. If you had Nikola Jokic on your fantasy team, you were probably in the top four in your league with doing almost nothing else. That's that's how important he was. You had to do other stuff to get it all done, but 
he was the answer to the question that I sometimes ask. Is there any player that could actually win you a fantasy league on a particular dice roll? And Nikola Jokic was almost the answer to that question last year. That's how good he was compared to everyone else. It's relatively unusual for the number one per game guy to also be the number one durability guy. So he actually, not only was he number one on a per-game basis, by not that much, but by a a decent margin. Like he was, Steph was number two, Jokic was number one on a per-game basis. Uh, Steph was like about a fourth rounder behind Jokic on a per-game, but Nicole played nine extra games, and so that's where he opened up that crazy large late first-round gap. That, That doesn't happen very often. Look at the previous year, uh, James Harden was like a third rounder ahead of Anthony Davis. That's still a a pretty good size jump because he played 68 out of their 72 games and AD played 62. Those extra six games were uh, a big difference. Harden was also number one. I mean, last year before the shutdown was not that dissimilar, I guess, that the number one per game guy was also one of the more durable players on the year. Uh and Harden's, Harden's done that type of thing before. Two years ago, he was the number one player per game, and he and Paul George and Cat were sort of the three durable guys that year. The previous season, uh, Anthony Davis was number one by averages, but he wasn't the most durable player in the league. So he actually had a, a pretty good-sized gap over Steph Curry on a per game, but, but a number of other guys actually closed that gap, Cat being the primary name in that discussion who played all 82 games that season, and uh, so closed the gap a little bit on AD. All that to say, the number one guy, not a whole lot of discussion going on on that front this year. It's Jokic. We've heard rumblings that Michael Malone's going to try to give him a game off here and there, but Denver is going to be good and not great this season, so they can't really afford to have him resting a ton of the time. They want home court advantage. The altitude is a big help for them. They're hoping, I I would imagine, to get Jamal Murray back somewhere very close to the end of the season, and they're going to want to be in okay position if he's even remotely close to playoff ready, which feels like a stretch, but I guess you never know. Maybe somebody comes back a little bit quicker and it doesn't re-aggravate things. I I hate the idea that Jamal Murray's going to be coming back like right before the playoffs and then push himself. Feels like a recipe for another injury, but... Whatever, not our problem to solve. Nicole's number one. Nobody's arguing with it. And uh, there are only one or two other players out there in the universe that you could even make an, uh, a case to be somewhere in the in his neck of the woods. Player number two in this uh, mock draft was James Harden, which is fine. I mean, he's a guy that we know could be number one if the chips fall properly presumably he's going to be healthier this coming season here's the thing as great as Harden was with Brooklyn this year and he was fantastic he he molded his game in a uh, a special way that uh allowed him to be in that uppermost echelon again like his last 30 games which take sort of the the later stage of the year or when he was healthy enough later in the year. He was at 25, 9, and 11. 2.1 defensive stats, almost three threes. uh, 47% from the field, so the the efficiency got better there. We know he's always a very good free throw shooter. Here's the problem with James Harden. There simply isn't enough usage on a healthy Brooklyn team 
to put him head and shoulders above anyone else. A best-case scenario for Harden is kind of what the league was from February to the end of the year, which is that over that stretch, there were basically five guys that all had the same per-game value and sat in the top slot together. This is a lot of mental gymnastics on a topic that sort of isn't that relevant to what you guys are going to be doing in fantasy. Because like, if James Harden goes number two, no one's really going to be arguing about it. This is me nitpicking to say I don't know that he could be the number one guy this year unless he plays, unless he is sort of back to the crazy durability level that we'd seen in the past. All I was pointing out is that over that last, you know, two and a half month stretch this season, Steph, uh, Kyrie, Jokic, Jimmy Butler were all kind of in that like upper crust. And then Kawhi, KD, Harden, oddly, Demonis Sabonis was really, really good over that stretch. Uh, they were in that next grouping. So like, Jokic kind of came back to earth after an absurd first two and a half months of the season where he just ran away from everyone and then he was just like as good as the other top three or four best guys in the in fantasy. Uh, but here's the thing, like Harden has to set his own crazy high marks, particularly in field goal percent if he wants to be the number one guy, because he's not going to be scoring 30 points a game anymore. Maybe you see him get back to that eight-rebound mark that he put together over that stretch. Ten assists per game does feel possible, given the guys around him. He's always been pretty good with defensive stats. Free throws are going to be awesome. But do I really believe that that field goal percent is going to be a net positive for James or like a neutral category? I'm not sure that I believe that's true now in Harden's defense he wasn't particularly healthy the last two and change months of the season he did most of his Brooklyn damage after the trade before KD became a bigger part of the puzzle and and that's another reason why we need to be cautious the big three on that team what did they play together like a dozen times this year usage will go down I know that efficiency might go up but I mean, the reason Harden was able to run away from everybody for multiple years in fantasy was because his usage was so obscene. Every play ran through him. It just won't be that way. Whatever percentage hit you think he takes, it's non-zero. Which is why I actually have Harden kind of towards the back end of that first grouping. And that's just a hint at the buckets to come. Uh, Steph Curry went third in this draft, and he's the guy I'm probably looking at going second uh, with a potential argument for someone like Cat or Damian Lillard. Um, but I like Steph just because he does actually have the fantasy game to be first. Over those last two and a half months we were talking about, Steph was the number one guy in fantasy. He was pretty damn durable. Well, Jokic was more durable, so that... Uh, helped catapult him in front, even over that stretch by totals. But by averages, Steph was the number one guy during that span. He passed Jokic. So that's why those two guys are at the top of my board. And, I, you know, Klay Thompson will be back at some point this year. But Steph is still going to be doing the bulk of the lifting. But again, everybody's got somebody coming back 
or joining them except for Jokic, who actually lost his highest usage teammate towards the tail end of last year. There, there's, there's no argument, really, to take someone else besides Jokic in that number one slot. But I do think that Steph is in the upper, uppermost crust, even if he's not quite in a category by himself like Jokic has been. Cat went fourth in this draft. Giannis went fifth. Um, Dame, uh, Dame went sixth, and Luka went seventh. And the reason I, I clumped all those guys together is because this is an area where I think you start to see patterns shift a little bit. ADPs are going to screw things up because Giannis and Luka are always going to go extra high because 8-cat punt free throw and points league stuff is going to artificially float those guys. Giannis, who is basically a punt free throw guy, and Luka, who's kind of punt free throw, but also doesn't do the other stuff the way that Giannis does. I, like Luka gets a lot of Luka gets a lot of mileage for someone who fantasy-wise, was really not very good this year. 8-cat, of course, he gets a pretty large bump, but, um, like, the lack of defensive stats for Luka... I know he's an unbelievable basketball player, so it's weird to frame it like this, but he's, like, in your all-overdrafted 9-category guys. Does he get better? I don't know plays through a lot of stuff because his team needs him to so that's an argument to be made for head-to-head certainly but again the reason I wanted to bring these guys up in particular and by the way we should probably just target first 24 players on today's podcast because 25 is what one pick into the third round that's a little bit dumb I like Cat he's got help now I think he's going to be more durable Minnesota looked like they were having fun one thing we knew we do need to keep in mind is that Cat is probably going to get uh He's probably going to get a tiny bit overdrafted, which I know sounds kind of dumb. Um, but Carl Anthony Towns is actually on the turn. He was a turn-level guy his last 40 games this year. 25 points, 10 boards, 5 assists, 0.7 steals, 1 block. The key is going to be that 1 block needs to be like 1.3, and field goal percent needs to be closer to 50, and it was at 48. And then you push him back into the middle of that first round. If you're drafting Cat in the top 3 or 4... You're hoping he goes back to being the guy who plays 82 ball games a year. I don't know that that's going to be the case. I think I would bank on him being more durable than not this season. But again, it's another reason for me to have him in the next group down from the upper, upper, upper echelon, which again, for me, is basically two guys. Jokic is one. Group two is Steph. And then I feel like you almost need a third bucket when you get to the like the third pick. The first two players might be their own buckets. We'll find out. We'll find out when we get more on the perception side of things. Um, I want to talk about Dame at six before I talk about the Giannis-Luka combo there. Dame at six makes a lot of sense. There's a chance that his teammate, his high-usage teammate in C.J. McCollum, might end up somewhere else. Uh, otherwise, he just keeps trucking along. He's someone who, on a per-game basis, is always inside the top ten uh, and plays through things because the Blazers need him to. Over the last, well, I mean, you could even look at the entire season for Dame. He was number 10 on a per-game basis this year. He was number 3 by totals because he missed only five ball games. He's just a really safe pick in the first round who probably won't exceed his mark on a per-game basis, but great for head-to-head because he doesn't miss ball games. Giannis Luka, uh, you better be punting. You better be punting. I don't, I, w- I don't want anything to do with them in the, in the upper first round in Roto. Giannis was number 15 by totals. He missed 11 ball games. They're going to be very car- careful with him off the championship run. 
Luca, who uh, got a bump by totals because he was, by all accounts, uh, relatively durable this year. What did he play in? In what did I say? Sixty-six ball games. He was number twenty-six there. I, you have to hope that his free throw percent just magically jumps by six percent this year. If it does, great. You got yourself a first rounder. If it doesn't, you're pushing second round. That's where he was at. He was just outside the second round. Luckily, those two guys are going to clutter the middle of the first round, and it's going to allow other guys to go uh, later than they should. I actually had the next pick, um, and I took Jason Tatum at eight, and it almost, it wasn't a really big decision for me, which I, I, I maybe is a little bit kind of a stupid way to put it. Tatum was number eight this year. He played 64 out of 72 games. Yeah, I think COVID protocol stuff is still going to be around for next season, but he'll be better. Boston's going to be better. They're just going to have a better flavor around the team, and he's going to dominate. He's great, and he's durable. It's a a fantastic head-to-head pick at eight. In Roto, I might have have hesitated a little bit. If you're in Roto games cap, you could look at like a Kevin Durant because he could be a top five per game guy. That's the stuff here, you know. KD was number eight on a per-game basis. He was better than Jason Tatum game-to-game, game, but KD's almost definitely going to miss a dozen ball games this year, and Tatum might not. You want your first-round pick to be a guy that you can milk for as many games as humanly possible. They may end up very close in overall value by totals this year if Tatum plays eight, nine more games than Durant, and Durant is eight or nine slots higher than Tatum on a per-game mark. And in Roto... You, you kind of want the guy with the bigger per-game numbers because you can fill in those other missed games. Total is accounting for everything that they do. I'd probably still lean Tatum just for the guy that I'd, I'm pretty sure is going to make it through the damn season. And, you know, KD could end up missing 25, 30 games, and that basically detonates your year immediately. Uh, but the upside play there is to go a different direction than Tatum. The upside is is likely Kevin Durant, maybe even Anthony Davis, who I'm still petrified of if he hasn't refigured out how to make a free throw. Uh, and again, he's a guy who's going to take some time off. You know, by averages this year, something was wrong with Anthony Davis, and it was pretty much the free throw line. He shot 74%. That's usually an area where he's a net positive. And he, he certainly wasn't himself. Is there a bounce back in store? I like... If this wasn't a team that was that had won the championship prior to last year, I would say this is a, a guy who wants to kind of reprove himself, but he has nothing to prove. He got that trophy. Lakers are going to want to win another title with their new team, but it's going to be all about figuring out how to fit the pieces together. So you're not going to get maximum AD, but that's another guy that you might consider at that number eight slot. And maybe Bradley Beal, maybe Paul George also kind of creep into the mix. But I feel pretty satisfied with what I got there with Tatum. Uh, Durant went right behind me at 9, so it makes a lot of sense. We had just talked about him as kind of your upside play. In a head-to-head league, that is a fat dice roll, though. This feels very much like a Roto Games cap or a weekly league type of dude because I, I can't, in an unlimited games format, imagine taking Kevin Durant with my first-round pick and just, like, what if he misses four weeks? <laughs> You're done. You're cooked. What the hell are you going to do if you lose your first-round pick for four weeks and then two weeks and then another and then rest days every back-to-back. You can't have your first-round pick miss 25 games in a head-to-head league unless he plays every damn playoff game, your head-to-head playoffs. And I don't know. I mean, can you count on that happening? Probably not. 
Joel Embiid went at 10. This is a guy we talked about pretty recently on the podcast, actually. He had a wonderful year on an average basis, but in head-to-head leagues, never. Can't do it. I can't do it. He was number 14 by totals, missing 21 games, and he basically hasn't shown that he can get through a season without missing about 20 basketball games. I just can't do that with my first-round pick in a head-to-head league. I'm not sure that I could recommend it in a Roto League either, but the sales pitch is a little bit easier. Hey, he misses 20 games, you fill him in with someone else, because when he's in there, he's so damn good. You know, top six per game this year, number six. It's the Kevin Durant uh, argument all over again. But I just can't in head-to-head. I can't do it. Bradley Beal won at 11. I really like that pick. He's he's the alpha in Washington again, and he's going to get all he can handle we saw that he actually was able to more or less maintain his efficiency the last time he had that role, which was only the previous year. He was number 11, took 23 shots a game, uh, played as much as he could, even in a season that was kind of frittering away. You could even look at the previous year. He was number 14, taking 20 shots a game. He'll get 20 shots a game. But what I want to do here is... By the way, Anthony Davis went at uh, 12 in that first round. What, I, what I'd like to do, because I think you guys kind of got the idea of how we're going to be attacking this thing and how this will move into, into ranks and bubbles, is now do the next 12 a little bit quicker, and then tomorrow we'll try to do like the rest of the top 100 at more of a kind of a lightning round type of speed. But here's the, se- here's the second round. Michael Porter Jr., Paul George, Freddie Van Vliet, Nikola... Uh, Vucevic, or Vucevic, excuse me, Kyrie Irving, Bam Adebayo, uh, Trey Young, Demonis Sabonis, LaMelo Ball, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Rudy Gobert, and Jimmy Butler. What I think is important to take away from this is, again, not necessarily that this is like where guys are going to go when things are sorted out, but rather, you know, what what do we think a big box website is going to have, and then what would this do to it? So, like, Michael Porter Jr. is going to probably go later than this. I would think that Yahoo's pre-ranks have him come out later. I don't know exactly how far, maybe, like, around 25 to 35 range. But then if there are guys out there that are that put out a rank list where Porter is 13, it's going to move his ADP in that upward direction. With Paul George, I think it might actually be the other way. I was a little bit surprised that he didn't get drafted in the first round with no Kawhi Leonard. But maybe it's because of potential missed games, things of that nature. You know, he's going to have to do a whole hell of a lot for the Clippers, and maybe you're looking at Paul George from a few years back with OKC when he was a top three per game guy. This is probably not all that far from where big box sites have him. Freddie Van Vliet at 15. He probably comes out at a slightly later ADP on big box sites. Vooch at 16. No one ever drafts Vooch. He'll, he'll have a later one. But it's good to know that folks are looking at him in the teens. So remember all of this stuff when the Yahoos come out with their preseason ranks. So, well, look, I know that somebody out there is going to be telling people to take him at 15, 16, and that's going to cause his ADP to move a little bit. Kyrie Irving, still going close to 20, I thought was super interesting. Bam Adebayo at 18. Trey Young at 19, nine cat head to head. So he's lost a little bit off his fastball, but this is accurate. He should be going in the second round. That's where he was a couple years ago, and then he overperformed because he was a one-man wrecking crew, but now he's not anymore. 
Demonis Sabonis at pick number 20. Uh, relatively durable for the most part. Really interesting basketball player. Had that nice stretch at the end of the year. Uh, but tends to settle into the 30 to 40 mark. LaMelo Ball at 21. Really high for him. I think his ADP will probably be in the 40s. But again, does this pull him earlier? Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Is this another tank season? Could you potentially look at him in a head-to-head league? Rudy Gobert at 23. Still nobody trusts poor Rudy Gobert. This is probably earlier than he goes in standard league drafts. And then Jimmy Butler at 24. That's so late. Jimmy Butler at 24. That's crazy late. What are we doing here? I mean, I know that sometimes guys just sort of fall out of the picture. Uh, Butler was awesome this season. He was number 15 on a per-game basis. He was better than that down the stretch. He was actually a top-five fantasy player for... uh, No, excuse me. I got my numbers wrong. Jimmy Butler was in the first round this year. He was number five for the whole season on a per-game basis. Yeah, the head-to-head stuff was always going to be a little bit of a bummer, and Kyle Lowry's going to take a little bit off of his plate. But I think the Heat are going to be playing hard this year. I think Jimmy Butler misses about 15 games, but if he's going to be going mid to late second round in any format, that's basically a must because he ends up beating his marks. And if they don't have a, a playoff spot locked in, playing down the stretch is just as likely. They'll be looking for home court advantage, get that Miami bump. Uh, the stuff in this second round that I thought was interesting, LaMelo Ball felt pretty early to me. Demonis Sabonis actually felt a bit early. I think even Trey Young in 9-cat is a bit early. Second round feels like a bit of a lunge. I'm actually less crazed about the Michael Porter Jr. thing. Like, I do think he could go in the second round this year. I don't know about the first pick of the second round, but he's going to have a giant job in Denver, and he was basically a second rounder down the stretch last year. And then the rest of this stuff, uh, Shea in head-to-head to me is a really difficult one. He's going to be real good when he's on the floor, but they may shut him down again if they're going pick hunting a second year in a row, which they very may well be. They're still kind of at the front end of the rebuild in OKC. Um, Vooch is a guy who tends to go later because he doesn't have all the buzz attached to his name, and he's now playing with DeRozan and Zach Levine, presumably both healthy to start the year in Chicago. Good to know that Jimmy Butler, Rudy Gobert, still falling bits, Kyrie still falling And that's kind of what I want us to be pulling away from this. I got a bit sidetracked in our discussion of the first round, kind of going through it player by player. But here's the other side of this. When I look at this, there are no buckets there. This is not bucketed yet. We're going to need to take these names and resort them. Paul George, Bradley Beal, like these guys to me belong in buckets together. Paul George, Bradley Beal, uh... Even Jason Tatum, like those guys, and they're separated. So anyway, we'll do the rest of the Top 100 on tomorrow's show. That'll be a good weekend episode, a little bit longer probably than most. And uh, then on Monday, we'll start working through our own lists. That'll be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoopball presentation. I am Dan Vespers. Enjoy your Thursday. Back at you tomorrow for a weekend show. So long, everyone. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.